Welcome back, everyone. This is another Conversations on Anares. I'm Dr. Joseph Orozco. I'm a professor of philosophy at Oregon State University, and I'm the co-director of the Anares Project for Alternative Futures. The Anares Project is a forum for conversations, projects, and initiatives that try to imagine a future free of domination, exploitation, war, and oppression. And we often have conversations with scholars, activists, and artists who are interested in helping us to imagine that possible future. My guest today is someone who's going to try to help us to understand this understudied but monumental figure in North American philosophy, revolutionary politics, and activism. He is someone who was key in tormenting the Mexican Revolution of 1910, but lived extensively throughout the United States, largely as a fugitive and exile from the Mexican government, mm -hmm. but was someone who inspired Mexican-American politics along the borderland and was key for many different kinds of labor struggles. This figure, of course, is Ricardo Flores Magón. My guest today is Dr. Sergio Gallegos. He teaches philosophy at the John Jay College of Criminal Justice for the City University of New York. And for the past few years, he has been working on studying the work of Ricardo Flores Magón, particularly his philosophical ethics uh, and how they relate to uh, his ideas of anarchism. But he is a specialist in Mexican philosophy in general. And so I've invited him to help us to understand a little bit about the influence and the work of Ricardo Flores Magón today. So, Sergio, welcome to Conversations on Anars. I'm really glad to have you here. Thank you, Jose, for the invitation. I'm very pleased to be here on the Anaris Project, and I really look forward to our conversation. Great. Well, uh, I've been wanting to do this for some time, and so, uh, I, but I think that it's important to, to sort of note that one of the reasons that, that we're here uh, talking now is that uh, this year, 2022, marks the 100th anniversary of the death of Ricardo Flores Magón in a U.S. prison. So in the past few years, you've turned your attention and some of your work to trying to understand some of his complex thinking. And so he was a, a complex person, a propagandist of anarchist politics, uh, but you have approached him uh, as a sophisticated philosophical thinker. Um, mm -hmm. I, I wanted to ask you first, what brought you to Flores Magón? Who was he and why were you attracted to study him as a figure for thinking about philosophical ethics? Sure. Well, as you mentioned, Ricardo Flores Magón is one of the most important figures in Mexican history insofar as both his thought and his actions are responsible for setting the ground for the Mexican Revolution. Uh, he was born in 1874 in El Oaxitlán, Oaxaca, which is an indigenous Mazatec community. Because of this, he was exposed during his youth to indigenous values and communal practices, which influenced in part the development of his political ideas concerning the need to develop an egalitarian anarchist community where individuals would contribute their labor for the benefit of all rather than for the benefit of a privileged few, which is what happens in uh, capitalism. Now, his parents, who had both fought against the French during the Second Franco-Mexican War, uh, impress on him during his uh, childhood and adolescence a fierce passion for uh, freedom. And in addition to his parents, he was very deeply influenced during his early years 
at the National School of Jurisprudence uh, by the writings of uh, authors such as Mikhail Bakunin, Joseph Proudhon, or uh, Piotr Kropotkin. Now, his intellectual engagement with anarchist authors along with uh, his childhood experiences in El Oxochitlan made him abandon his legal uh, studies to immerse himself in a career in journalism and political activism, denouncing the oppressive dictatorial regime of Porfirio Diaz, which ruled Mexico for over 30 years. And despite being forced to flee Mexico in 1904 and leave in exile in the U.S. actually for the rest of his life, Flores Magón had an important role in the Mexican labor movement, as you mentioned, inspiring through his ideas conveyed in the newspaper Regeneración, uh, which he edited with uh, uh, his brothers and collaborators, the strikes of uh, Rio Blanco in Veracruz and Cananea in Sonora, and his followers briefly occupied uh, Mexicali and Tijuana in 1911 at the beginning of the Mexican Revolution, creating short-lived anarcho-socialist communes. And to answer your second part of the question, what attracted me from Flores Magón is that uh, he was not only an original thinker that managed to articulate distant influences, in particular, as I mentioned earlier, his youthful experiences with indigenous values and practices, and his intellectual engagement with the thought of uh, European and Russian anarchists into what I think is an original intellectual contribution uh, and a very interesting political project, but he was also a man of action as you mentioned, an activist committed to fight for and to live in accordance with his ideals, which led him uh, not only to being exiled in Mexico, but subsequently imprisoned in the U.S. from uh, 1918 until his death in 1922 at the Leavenworth Penitentiary in Kansas. In fact, while in prison, he wrote this, and here I'm translating from uh, the Spanish. When I die, my friends may write on my tombstone. Here lies a dream. My enemies may write. Here lies a madman but no one will dare to write, here lies a coward and a traitor to his ideas, end quote. And uh, for me, this is very attractive because very few people in the history of philosophy have had that kind of personal and intellectual courage. Socrates is uh, one of the other few other figures that comes to mind, but uh, just to, uh, basically a few others. And this is what made uh, Flores Magón a really attractive figure uh, for me to... Uh, Delvin. Yeah, thank you for that background uh, for our, our listeners and our viewers. I think that, uh, you know, it's it, it's really interesting. There have been uh, some very recent books, I know, studies in the United States about his influence in border politics, both in labor and then also as an influence in early Mexican-American community organizing. So more attention is being brought to his work. Uh, but as you point out, in Mexico, his influence has been ongoing Continuously, even still today, right? He was a big influence for the Zapatista uprising in Chiapas <laughs> in the nineties, and and continues to be uh, an intellectual influence. So part of your work is to sort of uh, look into that kind of that legacy and try to figure out uh, what is this the the philosophical, the sophisticated philosophical thinking that he brings to thinking about uh, what we'll call insurrectionist ethics later. Indeed, yes. Mm -hmm. So, so part of, you know, as, as we've been talking about here, um, uh, Flores Magón uh, is known broadly for his political views, his notions of anarchism. Um, and people have been studying, uh, I mean, one thing I'll say as a side is what I find really interesting is Flores Magón in, it was really uh, one of the very few, I think, folks uh, in the kind of radical anarchist tradition to sort of think or postulate a little bit about what a 
post-capitalist, post-hierarchy society would look like and and often spend some time in his in his creative writing imagining the scenarios of what Indeed, communes yeah. would look like in Mexico. So uh, uh, that's something I, I find really fascinating about his work. But so I, you, however, uh, rather than sort of delve into his anarchism, uh, want to sort of look at his radical ethics. And so you take him as an ethical theorist. Yes, indeed. Um, so mm-hmm. I, w- I was wondering, what what brings you to think of Flores Magón as uh, an important ethical theorist? Well, um, that's a fascinating question. So what draws me uh, to think of Flores Magón as an ethical theorist, beyond his contribution as a political theorist, is that in his political uh, his political writings are infused with ethical reflections. And here I want to offer uh, a couple of examples. Uh, for instance, in a manifesto that was published in uh, the newspaper that he edited, Regeneración, on September 11th, uh, 1911, after offering an analysis of the brutal exploitation that forces both urban workers to engage in theft or murder and poor women into prostitution to be able to feed themselves or their families, Flores Magón declares the following, and here I quote him, is the duty of us poor to work and struggle to break the chains that make us slaves. To leave the solution of our problem to the rich and educated classes is to put ourselves voluntarily in their claws, end quote. And in another passage of the same manifesto, he insists that given that the elder, elderly, the disabled, and young children are often incapable of working, they should be supported by the collective labor of others, since a community has a duty to its most vulnerable members who cannot fend for themselves. So given these passages, uh, which are just part of uh, the manifesto from September 11, 1911, as well as many others throughout this works, it's clear for me that the political thought of Flores Magón is deeply connected with an ethical theory that is articulated around certain key values such as liberty and justice, and it highlights also certain duties and rights. And in particular, I think that one of the most valuable ethical insights of Flores Magón is that poverty is a kind of slavery, and that because of this, People have the right to revolt and overthrow a system that immiserates them, just as slaves have the right and uh, the duty to revolt and overthrow uh, their masters. Wow. Okay. So, um, so in in his in his political reflections, his notion, his, his ideas about social transformation, power, and change, and so forth, questions about social structures then you find uh, a commitment then to certain kinds of key values uh, and particularly strong values of communal care mm-hmm. that, uh, that seem to be importantly embedded in his notion of social change. And so this is right. why you think yes. about him. Mm-hmm. The, the, we need to sort of look at these kinds of uh, ethical values imprinted in his, his political theory. Mm-hmm. Yes. In particular, one of the things that is most attractive to me is the notion of freedom that uh, he articulates in his work in light of the fact that uh, for him, in order to be uh, free, you need to be uh, able not only to uh, uh, move without restraint or to uh, uh, vote without constraints, but also you have to be able to uh, uh, feed uh, yourself uh, without having to ultimately sell your work uh, uh, for um, uh, 
as he puts it, uh, putting a piece of uh, bread uh, in your mouth. And for him, this uh, and for me, this is extremely attractive because it uh, uh, shows that the notion of freedom that Flores Magón has is actually, in a sense, more radical than the one that, uh, that we find in uh, traditional. Uh, Exponents of liberalism, such as John Stuart uh, Mill, given that uh, for uh, Flores Magón, uh, uh, liberty or freedom is really rooted in uh, uh, an existential and material um, uh, need to be able to, to uh, ultimately just survive and feed uh, oneself. If that is basically uh, something that is uh, absent, you are not really free. And this awesome. is a really uh, interesting and potentially transformative idea. Right. So that the idea of justice is more than simply a procedural one about fairness and, and mm -hmm. the, 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 the sort of proper uh, uh, constraints on action within a system, but has to have real substantial uh, um, uh, outcomes in terms of the provision of care for a community. Yes. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, so uh, in, in your in the writings that you've done on Flotus Magon so far, one uh, one of the things that you bring in to help understand him as an ethical theorist and to try to bring out some of these values that you're talking about is uh, the framework uh, of uh, insurrectionist ethics. Mm -hmm. and, and so this is a framework that's uh, largely been developed through the work of um, folks like Leonard Harris mm -hmm. and uh, our colleague Lee McBride. Yes. Um, so uh, I was wondering if you could help us understand the, the, what is this framework about insurrectionist ethics? Uh, what what exactly does that phrase refer to? How how do how should we understand the idea of of, a, of an insurrectionist ethics? Well, insurrectionist ethics is an ethical framework that, as you mentioned, was initially articulated by Leonard Harris, and that has been further developed by many of his students, such as our colleague Lee McBride, and also by another. Uh, prominent student of uh, uh, Leonard, uh, Jacoby Carter. And in my view, uh, and here I follow uh, the exposition offered particularly by Harris in his early works, the core idea behind insurrectionist ethics is that any moral philosophy that offers advice, guidance, norms, or principles of action for being good, but that, but that does not require for us to actively support slave insurrections, or other forms of revolt or resistance against diverse forms of slavery or uh, servitude is fundamentally defective. Now, this core idea can be developed or implemented in different ways that share uh, common traits between them. And in particular, according to uh, Leonard Harris and Lee McBride, there are four typical traits that seem to traditionally characterize the work of insurrectionary ethicists. The first one is a readiness to break norms that ultimately perpetuate oppression. The second one is an articulation of a notion of personhood that promotes action on behalf of oppressed people. The third one is the use of representative heuristics to create coalitions of resistance among the oppressed. And the fourth one is the praise of certain character traits such as guile or defiance or uh, animosity that ultimately help oppressed groups to resist. And in my view, 
the use of representative heuristics is what is most remarkable in the works of uh, insurrectionary ethicists, uh, Flores Magón uh, being included. Great. So that's that's very interesting. So part of this idea, then, I guess, uh, is that uh, it's a critique of sort of traditional kinds of ways of thinking about ethics that says that any kind of ethical theory that in some sense does not support or provide foundation for um, uh, uh, opposition to mm -hmm. oppression of oppressed peoples or marginalized peoples in society is... Uh, is insufficient, right? So yes. if we don't, if in our ethics we don't take into consideration questions about social uh, structures that that create um, various forms of marginalization, servitude, unjust servitude, then yes. uh, mm -hmm. those are insufficient for the kind of work that we really want to do if we're concerned yes. with questions like justice. Exactly, and part of the reason for this is that many of the traditional. Uh, and most well-known political, uh, sorry, ethical theories. So Aristotle, Kant, John Stuart Mill typically came from privileged uh, backgrounds. And in light of this, the, uh, 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 I mean, the lived experience of oppression was not something that they ultimately had to uh, contend with. And uh, this is something that is manifest basically in the, uh, uh, systems that they ultimately put uh, forth, which oftentimes uh, either ignore or um, uh, actually um, embrace to some degree the existence of uh, slavery. And here a good example is basically Aristotle's views yeah. on uh, what he called natural slavery. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so this uh, sort of addresses the kind of in political theory that we often talk about, you know, this kind of the odd sort of... Uh, hypocrisy perhaps of of liberalism that talks that's so focused on questions about liberty and rights but for hundreds of years was willing to tolerate uh the african slave trade and then mm. the, the the servitude of african peoples particularly in north america and in latin america so uh this is a way of pointing out the kind of uh uh the the, the blind spots of these kinds exactly, of exactly yes so, so now, so now that we have this kind of an understanding of, of of this radical ethical position, in what sense do you think that Flores Magón is someone who's offering a kind of insurrectionist ethics? Uh, what oh, does this God. look like? How, how how does this work out for for him as a? How would you characterize him as an insurrectionist ethicist? Wow, I mean, I could talk for hours about uh, this. Uh, uh, because there's a lot to be said, but let me just give you a couple of brief examples. So, for instance, in his play uh, Tierra y Libertad from 1917, Flores Magón has one of the main characters of the play, the peasant leader Marcos, address a group of soldiers who are mostly former indentured farmhands who are compelled to join uh, the army and who have come to arrest him uh, and his followers. And in his discourse uh, to them, Marcos tells the soldiers that by doing that, if they were to ultimately arrest them, they would just be perpetuating their own oppression and that of their families since the tribulations of the soldiers, uh, in particular poverty, meager food, abuse and contempt uh, from high-ranking officers, which uh, come from a different social class, 
are very much like the tribulations endured by the peasants and uh, their families. So by highlighting the situation of the soldiers and making them the representatives of uh, the class of all uh, poor workers, Marcos is able to persuade the soldiers to join them, thus creating a coalition of uh, resistance. And another example of this insurrectionist ethics is uh, the praise and promotion of a shared antipathy and aversion among all poor with respect to their oppressors. Indeed, uh, according to Flores Magón, the aversion and antipathy, which he emphasizes in uh, several places, not only in his plays, uh, but also in uh, some of the uh, uh, journalistic uh, work, are positive features insofar as they can help spark the beginning and then fuel uh, fueled the unfolding of a social revolution that would be anti-authoritarian and egalitarian uh, in nature. So this is really interesting to me. I, I mean, on the one hand, I have uh, I have some questions about this. So as you point out, a lot of the 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 the, the work that you're referring to is his his creative work, right? Mm -hmm. So you are you are interpreting uh, the the plays. So you know, for folks who haven't read, you know, the 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 obras of of Flores Magón, right? It's it's a wide variety of different kinds of genres that he right. yeah. and, and, and formats that he worked in. One, you know, pamphlets, uh, manifestos, uh, journalistic pieces, um, and then also plays, as you mentioned, uh -huh. and and short, short story. stories, yes. poems. Yes. Right? So yeah, so he was very diverse in this kind of sense. And so your part of your work is actually trying to extract philosophical insights from his creative work yes um, does does that provide i mean does that create a different layer of interpretation for you does that create a certain kind of any kind of problematic uh issue for you in trying to read uh his plays for philosophical insight well not really because uh as i mentioned to you uh the lens that i have been using to uh read flores magon's uh work is uh, insurrectionist ethics, and uh, Leonard uh, has been very attentive to the fact that uh, a lot of uh, the figures that he has basically studied through this uh, lens, so uh, William uh, so Walker, for instance, uh, uh, but also other abolitionists, uh, other U.S. abolitionists in the 19th century, wrote in a variety of different genres correspondence, pamphlets, and uh, a part of what I see myself doing is actually uh, furthering uh, the work that Leonard basically has done by showing that uh, uh, just as there is uh, a lot of philosophical value in uh, non-traditional philosophical genres uh, in U.S. Uh, authors, there is also a uh, a lot of philosophical value in uh, works, in non-traditional uh, philosophical works in uh, Latin American uh, and um, Caribbean figures. And this makes sense because uh, I think uh, um, in doing work in Latin American thought, you're going to find a lot of figures who are not writing the traditional kind of professional philosophical essays. Exactly, yes. Right. Mm -hmm. So we so we have to be more attentive to different forms of writing. Uh, and I know that uh, uh, you've been doing a lot of work, for instance, in the Mexican philosopher uh, uh, Sor Juana. 
so um, so trying to look at these kinds of writings in non-traditional formats is something that is necessary for this kind of work, right? Uh, uh, to sort of look at the ways in which people are articulating perhaps the ideas of insurrection and creating uh, these kinds of notions of, li of liberation, you'll, you'll have to find them in perhaps non-traditional exactly, yeah. sources. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I think is extremely valuable in the long run for the profession, given mm -hmm. that it enables us to really uh, expand uh, our canon and include in uh, the philosophical conversation figures that uh, were deemed to be, for instance, in the case of Sor Juana, merely, uh, merely a poet, a uh, mm -hmm. playwright, or in the case of Flores Magón, a journalist uh, mm -hmm. and activist. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense, because when you consider folks that were contemporaries of Flores Magón around this time in, in sort of different ways, talking about liberation from from different standpoints. I'm thinking of folks like Jose Martí, mm -hmm. uh, others, right? A lot of this, a lot of their work is in journalism. Yes. So, um, so it's something that we have to be attentive to. Yes. Um, and I mean, since you mentioned Martí, another excellent example is uh, the Afro-Cuban journalist uh, and politician Juan Gualberto Gómez Ferrer. Uh, yeah. who wrote uh, in uh, non-traditional uh, genres and whose uh, work, I think, as uh, just as in the case of Flores Magón, not, uh, be, not been given the uh, proper attention that it deserves from uh, philosophers. So if I understand correctly, part of what you've been doing is looking at these plays and these writings and you find in them Flores Magón talking about... Uh, uh, liberation of communities and the and and by exhorting individuals to think about themselves in in different kinds of roles with uh, in a, and thinking about themselves to be empowered in certain kinds of ways that you find consistent with the the framework of insurrectionist ethics right mm -hmm. that, that he's he, he's exhorting people to think about themselves in certain ways and by thinking about themselves and as agents in those kinds of ways uh, this can further than the social revolution that he exactly, envisions yes. in his political mm -hmm. theory. Um, so thinking about this idea of the way in which he's trying to empower individuals to think about themselves as willing to stand up to uh, to uh, uh, fight against oppressive norms and to think about themselves as, uh, as you put it, people who have character traits of of guile, uh, of 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 sort of creative, uh, uh, creative destruction of oppressive <laughs> yeah. social norms. Um, what do you think that this kind of study now offers us for thinking about social movements, but particularly in Latin America? Uh, I mentioned at the at the beginning of this that Flores Maguan's legacy is. Um, you know, is is well known in Mexico, but he's a figure uh -huh. because he he was part of such an intellectual figure for the Mexican Revolution, uh -huh. uh, and continues to have a legacy in social movements there. But I'm wondering, do you think that uh, this this thinking about him as someone who offers insurrectionist uh, perspective has something to provide for thinking about social movements or reform in Latin America and also in the United States and its social movements? What 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 is it that we can take from from Flores Magón to help us think about social change today? In other words, okay. Uh, so I mean, there are several lessons that I think Flores Magón can offer to us, both in Latin America and in the U.S. 
uh, but I will just focus on a couple. So uh, for me, the first lesson that uh, one can draw from his uh, works is that uh, poverty is not an individual choice that some individuals make or a dictate of fate that people who endure it must accept. For him, and this is something that is uh, a recurrent idea in uh, his works, poverty is like slavery or debt bondage. Uh, that is a social structure employed by the, uh, within the capitalist system by a privileged few to control masses of dispossessed people in order to commodify their labor and to ensure their conformity and uh, their obedience. And like slavery of debt bondage, um, poverty debases those that it affects by forcing them to engage in activities that degrade them. So theft, murder, prostitution, and the list goes on. So I think that uh, this is something that uh, I think is a very important lesson that we can draw from uh, Flores Magón. The second one uh, is that uh, human beings are not impotent in the face of the immiseration created by the capitalist system. We can, through our actions, engage in different forms of insurrectionary activities, such as refusing to obey norms that perpetuate oppression, for instance, by refusing to be drafted into an army waging an imperialist war, or using representative heuristics to create coalitions of resistance against oppressors. And here, I think that one of the most successful recent examples uh, in the last uh, 30 years of this has been the creation of uh, uh, coalitions of resistance through the use of representative heuristics by uh, the Frente Indígena de Organizaciones Binacionales, which uh, though created in the early 1990s by Zapotecs and Mixtec uh, migrants in California, now federates various diasporic indigenous groups in California and their sister communities in Mexico and has uh, collaborated with the United Farm Workers uh, to better the condition not only of migrant uh, indigenous workers in uh, California, but also those of other uh, uh, agricultural workers and uh, also the conditions basically of their sister communities in uh, uh, Oaxaca. So I think that the works of Flores Magón really uh, provide us uh, with um, some very uh, valuable resources to develop uh, transnational uh, organizations that uh, enable us to uh, really build communities of resistance against uh, oppression, particularly for the most vulnerable ones. Yeah, fascinating. I, I uh, you know, I, I'm wondering, the, this notion that you bring up, right, that, you know, one of the central insights to take from his insurrectionist ethics is to think about poverty uh, in this kind of structural way mm-hmm. as, a, as, as a tool of uh, a, an unjust capitalist system to uh, create servitude in this sense. I mean, I think that this flies all fairly starkly in the face of a certain kind of American attitude, right? That, that poverty is largely a matter of personal failing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So in some sense, it, uh, this makes sense then to sort of think about him as an insurrectionist ethicist, because this is really trying to undermine certain kinds of cultural understandings, at least in the United States, that, and, and, and in Mexico to some extent too, mm-hmm. I, uh, yes. mm-hmm. right? That, that if you're poor, it's your fault. 
that you haven't worked hard enough. Exactly. Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. right? In Mexico, there might be a variety of other sorts of things that you can uh, that you can sort of put the blame on for the failure of your own family or your own success. Well, um, I mean, sorry that I interrupt, but I mean, no. there has been traditionally in Mexico a picture of uh, Amerindians as lazy. Yeah. As, yes. And I think that Flores Magón's uh, uh, work really is uh, can be transformative in uh, showing to us and making to us clear that, as you mentioned, poverty is not a matter of uh, individual choice or a moral failing, but rather a structural uh, tool for controlling the masses um, in order to ultimately keep them um, obedient and in order to extract uh, resources for, uh, from them in order to commodify them, in particular their labor. Yeah, a couple of things I wanted to say about this that makes me think about. One is that I think that um, I think this kind of discussion has been uh, has been bubbling up in the mm -hmm. say in the past uh, 10, 15 years in the United States, uh, particularly around issues having to do with debt. So I remember back in the Occupy movement uh, back in 2011, a lot of discussions about uh, thinking about debt. Uh, and uh, right after the sort of the, the the real estate bubbles blew up, many people were uh, put out of work in the recession that started in 2009. This kind of question of like wh what what caused this failure? Was it people's inability to work hard or to save, or was it in fact uh, you know the the kind of speculative real estate market that had been created, a structure that in fact was immiserating so many people, and particularly people of color in the United States, for people that were hit very Indeed. heavily by that real estate uh, bubble uh, bursting in two thousand eight. So this kind of question that we've been having in the past eight ten years about questions about debt, I think, resonates in some sense with these kinds of insights of Flores Magón, the the sort of question about like why is there debt in this country mm -hmm. uh and 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 whom does it serve exactly and I, yes. and, and I know that I've heard this from my own students when I when they talk about student debt so here's another aspect of this kind mm -hmm. of question about debt is how you know when I speak with them about this and I hear back from them how much they feel their their life choices are constrained right by the 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 kinds of debt structures that they uh, face with higher education uh and you know we've seen in the past three or four years like how what is such a, a hot potato this issue of student debt relief is through the biden administration uh back and forth people going back uh, and particularly you know you hear the 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 critique of the of debt relief by saying look you know i worked hard to pay off my debt it's unfair that other people get their debt relieved mm -hmm. i mean that that that's all part of that idea of yes. mm -hmm. poverty being a personal issue so it's deeply ingrained in us uh, and and, yes. to, mm -hmm. and to and to at least in the united states right and to and to uh uh think about that and to have a figure that sort of confronts that deeply that's powerful Yes. So that's a deep connection. This the second thing I wanted to note about what you were saying uh, is, and this is something I've noticed too in some of uh, Flotus Magon's writing, is um, a real sort of important acknowledgement of the ways in which indigenous communities organize. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly, so while though he's not nostalgic in the sense that we need to return back to mm-hmm. uh, uh, sort of pre-industrial ways of social organization, he does look to uh, the forms of solidarity created amongst indigenous communities in Mexico and, and sort of says, look, it is possible for human beings to build communal societies with care embedded in social relationships that uh, sort of, you know, point to capitalism and say, this is not inevitable and this is not necessarily the highest level of social evolution uh, that we have here. We can look back and see that there have been in some sense, much better, much more caring kinds of systems and that the, the, the indigenous communities of Mexico can provide that kind of reminder, not necessarily right. as a model to follow, but as a reminder of different sorts of social possibilities. Indeed. And what I would add to what you said is that in, uh, 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 I think one of uh, his uh, addresses, one of the points that he makes is that uh, just as uh, poverty, another thing that ultimately chains us, and he uses uh, this specific metaphor, uh, is uh, indifference. So the capitalist system, insofar as it uh, seeks to basically atomize uh, groups and basically turn uh, individuals into um, um, things that uh, basically do not belong uh, to uh, a community, but are just primarily uh, Um, self-interested. So uh, capitalism basically atomizes uh, individuals and it uh, promotes basically a kind of indifference that is uh, ultimately runs against uh, the deep uh, social instincts that we do have uh, uh, in virtue of being the kind of creatures uh, that we are. And that uh, in light of this, the forms of solidarity that we find in uh, indigenous communities are, as you put it, perhaps not a model uh, that we can uh, uh, follow, but at least a reminder that other possibilities, other alternatives basically are available to us to construct forms of social organization that uh, uh, don't force basically individuals to uh, to be uh, basically uh, be forced to sell uh, their labor, uh, which is, as he po- points out, over and over, really a form of servitude. Yeah, and what I liked too, also about what you said uh, and about the examples that you gave was that um, the 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 best sort of examples of people who perhaps are enacting this kind of insurrectionist ethics from a, a, a magonista point of view might be the uh, indigenous workers. Who are who are helping us to think about transnational community and transnational solidarity and organizing? So that creates that real important kind of uh, bond between the global north and the global south. That uh, I think you know I often talked about this in various ways. I think there that there was a kind of a, uh, a bit of a spark of this in the early in the late 1990s with the global justice movement. There's a lot okay. of discussions going on about this. But then when uh, 9/11 happened and the war on terror took place, we uh, I think a lot of the world retreated into uh, its nationalist boundaries. Mm-hmm. And what we see now, you know, throughout most of the world and in the United States, is a very strong nationalist 
kinds of consciousness amongst certain kinds of far-right politicians who are encouraging us not to think about uh, these kinds of boundaries. And so and there's another way in which this insurrectionist ethics is really important and powerful in getting us to break free from the kind of neoliberal tendency to isolate us not only as individuals but also as national communities from one another mm -hmm. yes uh, so mm -hmm. um uh there's a lot of sort of real important kind of um uh, work to be done here and sort of uh bringing the insights of flores magon out definitely yes well so this is what i want to ask you about this uh, so i know that you've written uh some pieces about flores magon um where where do you hope to be able to take your your work on Flores Magón from here on out? Do you have any other plans for analyzing his thought? Any other sorts of uh, writing in the works? So my um, work on Flores Magón has uh, so far been circumscribed since it has mostly focused uh, on his place and his correspondence. In the future, I would like to engage in a far more comprehensive study of his uh, production. So undertaking a more systematic study of his uh, uh, manifestos, his political addresses, his correspondence, which is very voluminous. Um, and um, I would like in particular to study their uh, other instances of uh, an insurrectionary ethical uh, stance. And in addition of continuing to analyze Flores Magon's thought, uh, the um, uh, I mean, the experience of uh, reading him and uh, being prompted to think uh, by uh, the, uh, his writings in uh, novel ways has uh, also made me plan to engage with the thought of other Oaxacan uh, thinkers. In particular, in the future, I would like to basically engage uh, with the thought of uh, the Chatino writer and community leader Tomás Cruz Lorenzo, who was a very uh, important figure in uh, the Chatino community in uh, Oaxaca, whose uh, thought uh, that was mostly expressed in uh, writings that he published in uh, a publication uh, journal that he founded, uh, Milenio, Nuevo Milenio, I think it was uh, called, uh, how his thought, uh, which uh, has uh, some anarchist um, uh, underpinnings, but also which is deeply embedded in indigenous values and uh, roots, can provide uh, potentially some uh, insights as to how uh, we can uh, develop forms of resistance against basically the uh, structures that continue to uh, immiserate uh, us, in particular capitalism, which not only miserates us, but it's also uh, destroying our planet at an accelerated uh, pace and help us basically, uh, and using these resources, help us uh, devise or uh, uh, implement uh, potential solutions that uh, uh, would enable us to uh, construct better alternatives for the future. Yeah, uh, that's extremely important work, uh, I, I think. And what's interesting too is that, uh, as you said, the, the 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 production of Flores Magón was just so voluminous. And and, there, mm -hmm. and 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 what's interesting is the sort of transnational organizing that he himself did, partly as yes. a result mm -hmm. of his exile. Um, does this does this 
have any kind of resonance for you uh, as well as someone who grew up uh, in Mexico uh, mm -hmm. and uh, but uh, works primarily in the United States? Uh, does this work speak to you in any kind of personal sense? Yes, I mean it does speak to me in a pers uh, a personal sense on many levels. Uh, uh, just to mention a couple uh, a couple of these levels. Um, I um, part of what I uh, have been uh, working on over the past few years is in building bridges uh, between Latin American traditions of thought and uh, North American uh, traditions of thought, because I think that there is a lot to be gained by putting uh, figures, basically, of both traditions in conversation with each other. In fact, uh, this is precisely what I'm doing. Uh, this is precisely what I have been doing by using the um, insurrectionary ethicist uh, lens developed by Leonard Harris to study the work of uh, Flores Magón. So, uh, in uh, I think that, and uh, here I um, I'm trying to uh, apply basically Flores Magón's insight uh, in the sense that. Uh, we can create basically uh, better alternatives by uh, looking at what others have done, by putting, by engaging in conversation with uh, others uh, at a philosophical uh, level. Uh, so this is uh, something that uh, deeply resonates with me, and I've tried to uh, uh, use that as a guide for my work in the, over the past uh, few years. Now, on, on another level, um, the um, interaction um, uh, between Flores uh, Magón and many of his contemporaries. I mean, he was uh, actually a friend of uh, uh, Emma Goldman, uh, who was a very important figure in uh, U.S. anarchism, is, I think, representative of the kind of, uh, you know, transnational uh, work that we can uh, engage uh, in, in order to, uh, as Flores uh, Magón and uh, Emma Goldman uh, did in their time, to try to uh, fight against the oppressive structures that uh, uh, sadly dominate uh, uh, our society in order to um, help uh, individuals, particularly the most uh, oppressed and immiserated ones to break free from the uh, uh, chains of poverty and uh, indifference that um, burden our societies and prevent us from uh, articulating better alternatives for uh, uh, a common, uh, prosperous and shared future. Yeah, no, I think that that's very important. I, you know, what's what's interesting in the sort of that that anarchist tradition is um, uh, Emma Goldman, uh, you know, did do some organizing around uh, helping uh, Flores Magón in his uh, legal battles yes. in the United uh -huh. States. Um, but, you know, one figure that uh, I think is really interesting, Voltaire de Claret, right, who, mm -hmm. who um, uh, wrote... Uh, a, a, a couple of essays, but one of them in particular where she said, you know, you probably haven't been paying attention to this, but one of the most important kinds of things happening in the world today is the Mexican Revolution. Yes. Right. And she talks about why uh, it's really important for people who are interested in uh, social justice, social change to pay attention to the ways in which 
developments were unfolding uh, uh, there and the ways in which it had this kind of, um, it offered this kind of beacon of hope for mm-hmm. the possibility of uh, uh, marginalized peoples and historically oppressed peoples taking control of history and uh, trying to create a different kind of social organization. So she pointed out, right, that this is something that we ought to be paying attention mm-hmm. to. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so I think that, um, you know, that's really sort of in the spirit of your work is that uh, there's something really important to pay attention to, uh, not simply as a historical um project but that there are some real insights here that we need currently speaking given the ways in which capitalism has unfolded and in in the ways in which it's immiserating people today in in the forms of late capitalism and particularly the sort of after effects of capitalist production which are creating an inhospitable planet exactly yes yeah, those are very. That's fascinating work. Well, well, I want to. I, I want to respect your time, Sergio, and I, I appreciate you being here with us today. Thank you for helping us to understand a little bit about the importance of Flores Magón uh, as a thinker, and uh, uh, just uh, appreciate it. We'll try to put some links to make people uh, have uh, a opportunity to contact you if they have any questions or thoughts. But I want to just say thank you very much for being here with us today. From gusto. <laughs> It was a pleasure. <laughs> it was a pleasure. And thank you, too, for listening and watching us uh, here on the Inares Project. You can uh, follow the Inares Project on uh, all social media. We're on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can find us at our website, which is inaresproject.org. Leave us some comments. Tell us what you think, if you've read if you've studied or you're interested in more of the thoughts of Ricardo Flores Magón, let us know. Uh, and uh, we hope that you will be able to continue uh, in our conversations with us. Thank you once again.